Happy Easter to all of you anyway. Man, there really is. There's no better day for us, no better day to celebrate the life-changing power of Jesus. There's no better day to celebrate the power of God that brings life from the dead in ways that you saw represented up there than on Easter Sunday. Today is a huge and critical day. It's a huge day here on Easter. And yet, I, I do wonder, though, this year and other years also, I do wonder whether we really even understand what we're talking about. If we really understand what we're talking about when we reckon with the power of God to give new life on Easter, you know? Like, if, if, you're, if you're a regular around here, if you're a, a member or a regular attender here, we've been looking forward to this day for a long time, right? We've been journeying toward this day. Maybe you're new around here, you're a visitor, you're a guest, maybe you're here in church for the very first time today, and I don't think it's a coincidence that, that happened on Easter. It's that huge of a day, Right? There are volunteer leaders around here, staff people, musicians, pastors who together have put in hundreds of hours preparing to lead our community together in the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus because it's that important. And yet even so, even there, I wonder if we get it. I wonder if we really understand what we're reckoning with in terms of the power of God to give new life on Easter. You know, if, if this day had not happened, if, if God had not raised Jesus from the dead, first of all, you would not be here. Nobody would be gathered here today. There'd be no such thing as churches. Nobody would bother to do this. I don't know what you'd be doing, playing racquetball or jogging or reading or Starbucks would probably still exist. I don't know. But you wouldn't be here, right? If this had not happened, if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, no Christian church would ever have been formed. Nobody would know the name of the most famous human being that's ever lived. That The history of the civilization of the world would not be the same. This is that huge of a day. On the other hand, if God did actually raise Jesus from the dead, if, if this is true, if God raised Jesus from the dead, to whatever degree you and I are not centering our lives around that incredible truth is the degree to which we are probably wasting our lives. It's that big of a deal. And I wonder if we really get it. I wonder if we understand what we're talking about when we say that God has raised Jesus from the dead. I, I talk about this like it's a day, like it's Easter day, if this day had not happened. But this day fits in a much longer story, right? I mean, even to go back just a little bit, this story starts for sure in the life of Jesus that he lived leading up to this day. It starts in the most unique and powerful life that has ever been lived. It starts in Jesus who, who came teaching people things, who, who came to teach people and show people what the heart and character of God is really like to replace all the malformed and misinformed pictures of God that we form and pick up along the way that, that break our hearts and steal life from us. Jesus who came to embody the, the heart of God for us so we would know who and what God is really like. Jesus who came to teach people how to live their lives in relationship with God. He taught us, for one thing, to love our neighbors as ourselves, a very simple lesson which, if implemented, would probably change the world again, right? But not only to love our neighbors as ourselves, but Jesus taught his followers to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. And he taught us what love looks like. He said, greater love has no one than this, than that they would lay down their life for their friends. And then he not only said it, he did it. He did it. And in fact, he sacrificed his life for others even before he died. Jesus was on this, this unstoppable quest to gather the lost, to gather the outcasts and the sinners, the unqualified, like you and me, no matter what kind of show we're putting on the outside, to bring us and our fears and our unworthiness and our insecurity into his people. He came to gather the least, the last, and the lost, and to call them the people of God together and to bring us together. And over the course of doing this for 33-odd years or so, 
Jesus had the opportunity to make some very powerful people very angry. And over the course of a very eventful Thursday and Friday, round about 2,000 years ago, Jesus got arrested. He was wrongfully arrested. He was falsely sentenced and unjustly executed in the most public and humiliating way that people knew how to do it in those days. And they stuck him up on a tree, they nailed him to a cross, and on a Friday afternoon 2,000 years ago, that Jesus died. And then as Friday came to a close and Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath day began, they laid Jesus in a tomb. And they rolled a big rock in front of it to seal it up because Jesus was a kind of popular and controversial figure. They didn't want anybody messing with his body and making stories up. So they put this big rock and a guard in front of the tomb. And then the people who called themselves followers of Jesus spent a very long Saturday. They spent a very long Saturday taking all those hopes that they had allowed themselves to get up and let them all back down again. They spent a very long Saturday deciding they really had been wrong about who Jesus was, and apparently he was wrong about what he said and taught and said about himself. And then after a very long Saturday night, some women who were among the group that called themselves Jesus' followers, they came to the tomb on Sunday morning before dawn while it was still dark. And they came and they brought spices and ointments, perfumes, to anoint the body of Jesus to cover the stench of death. And they got there and they saw that the stone had been rolled away. They had come ready to settle, ready to make their peace, ready to settle for honoring Jesus' memory according to the noble burial customs of their people. They came to do these things, and they found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, and they were no doubt frightened and confused, and who had done this, and how had they managed to get past the guard and come and mess with Jesus' body? And then there were some people standing there outside the tomb that seemed to shine with an unnatural light. They were messengers from God, an angel, if you will. And this messenger from God said to these women, asked them this question that resonates down throughout the ages to us sitting here in this room today. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And these women came to understand and they came to believe that God had raised Jesus from the dead, that he was not dead in this hole in the rock anymore, but that God had raised him from the dead. And they told others and they began to believe and to understand. But I wonder if we understand yet today what sort of living that angel was talking about when they said that Jesus was the living one and not among the dead. What is that? You know, when I was a kid, when I was young, I was, I was raised under the influence of rock and roll adults. Okay? So I had a pretty fun upbringing. And uh, I remember this time, I remember pretty clearly actually, I was probably eight or 10 years old, somewhere in that range, and we went to an amusement park that was nearby where I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. And it was an amusement park. And you know how at amusement parks, in and amongst all the rides are all the games that give people opportunity to throw their money away? Do you know those games in between? Or that's how I describe them to my kids anyway, those games. <laughs> well, I think my parents threw some money away or something because we walked up to this game and there was a, a, an employee there who could guess things about you. And if they were wrong, you got a prize. I remember they had a big scale that you could step on and they would guess your weight. Now that I'm an adult, I wonder how many people actually do that, like in public? But anyway, they would, they would also ask, they could guess the month of your birth, just random chance, right? Or they could guess your age. And this will be shocking, I know, but uh, I was always kind of tall for my age as a kid. And so people often thought that I was older than I was. So I thought I'm going to give that a shot. And so this person guessed my age, and I don't remember exactly, but I think they said I was 12 and I was 9 or something, but I won a prize. 
And they got to go to this wall of prizes full of various sizes of stuffed animals and toys and things that made lots of noise. And what did this nine-year-old kid pick off that wall? A mirror about this size on which was written the frosted letters that spelled out, Elvis lives. I was one weird little kid, right? right? But it was the 80s, so if you were alive, you were weird too, probably in the 80s, right? So in, in the early 80s, there were people who thought that like Elvis had faked his death and was now living in a cabin in Michigan somewhere, I think. And uh, maybe some of you still believe that, and if so, I'm sorry to offend you, but you know somebody had to. Uh, it could also mean... It could also, though, mean that the, the influence of Elvis lives on, right? That, that his ideas, his influence on rock and roll, that the heart of rock and roll is still beaten in Cleveland, as Huey Lewis taught us maybe almost as long ago. Now, this is not what the angel meant, right? This is not the kind of living that the angel was talking about. And yet, and I think probably most of us would agree with that, but I wonder, functionally, if this isn't closer to how we actually operate. Like Jesus had some influence and had some ideas and did some things that influenced later history, and, and that's good and all. Some of his ideas we actually like, but don't really know what it would mean to live in a living relationship with the living Lord of heaven and earth. Do we know what we're talking about there? In another season of my life, I worked as a hospital chaplain, a chaplain intern, really, for a season. I worked at a trauma hospital in Seattle, Washington, which actually is the same hospital that the TV series Grey's Anatomy is based off of, just in case that makes me seem cooler than I actually am. <laughs> and I was at this hospital for a summer, for about three months, and while I was there, I had the opportunity, if you will, to be in a lot of hospital rooms when a lot of people died. A lot of times that somebody's heart stopped beating and lungs stopped drawing breath and blood stopped moving oxygen to vital organs, and all the machines in the room started to read their version of zero and made whatever horrible noise those machines make at that moment. And then sometimes, not always, but sometimes, through the marvels of modern medical technology, those people came back. They came back from the dead through the technology created by smart people, created by God, and it was amazing, and they returned to the lives that they had previously been living. But this still is not the kind of living we're talking about when the angels said that Jesus was living. When I think about a Bible character that that kind of living might relate to when they were resuscitated, I think about this character in Jesus' life whose name was Lazarus. I don't know if you've ever heard the Lazarus story before, but Lazarus was a, a close personal friend of Jesus, and he had two sisters whose names were Mary and Martha, and Lazarus got sick at one point, and he died, and Jesus did not show up in time to save Lazarus from dying. But after Lazarus had been dead four days, Jesus showed up to find some very irritated sisters. And Jesus then, at that point, called Lazarus forth from the grave four days later. And he comes out, and Lazarus is alive, and he starts taking off these grave cloths that bound him all up. And it's a joyful story. It's an incredible story. He's a hero. But I also sometimes feel badly for Lazarus, because he's one of the only poor suckers I know that had to die twice, Right? he returned to the same life he had been living, this mortal life that would die again. This is not the kind of life that Jesus was raised into. This was not the same kind of living the angel was talking about when they asked, why do you seek the living among the dead? When you think of the kind of life that Jesus was raised into, I think we would do well to imagine something like, something like an eruption of the future into the present. 
like a manifestation of heaven on earth. The life that Jesus was raised into was not the kind of life that you normally imagine. It was a life, for one thing, that was no longer subject to suffering and death and decay and mortality like the rest of us. It was a life that was no longer subject to temptation, to sin, to betrayal, to violence, to hatred in the way that his previous life had been subject to temptation and betrayal and violence. It was a new kind of life. It was a whole new kind of living. It was the kind of life that God made us for. And I wonder if we understand that. And what causes me to wonder and what causes me to doubt that we grasp this regularly is because, you know, we still have this frustrating tendency to seek the living among the dead. We're still doing it. We have this tendency to go looking for life where it can't be found. We have this tendency to go trying to find things to make us alive among dead things. You know, all of us, right? Every one of us has a certain amount of time left on this earth, right? You've got a certain number of birthdays left. You've got a certain number of Easter's you're going to celebrate. There are a certain number of mornings that you have yet to wake up in this life on this earth. And I don't know what that number is. I'm not here to tell you. You don't know what that number is. And you might think it's short. You might think it's long. You might be right. You might be wrong, right? We don't know. We don't know. But I do know this. Every human being I have ever met wants that life to matter, wants that life to be worth every moment of every breath that it draws, wants that life to count, wants that life to be everything it could possibly does not want to see that life wasted in the end. We want it to be all that it can be. It's a hunger inside every human soul. But what I have experienced is that we settle, is that we settle. In the, in the midst of our pursuit for that life to be all that it can be, we settle instead in our quest to make that life simply as easy as it can be. Or we try to arrange things so that our lives will be as comfortable as they can be. That our lives will be as wealthy as they can be, as successful as they can be, as full of achievement as they can be, as popular and admired by as many people, our name remembered by as many people as they can be. And not that there's necessarily anything wrong with any one of those things alone, but as far as life goals go, well, it reminds me of what the great Christian writer C.S. Lewis said. This is how C.S. Lewis described it. He said, human beings like this, when we live our lives like this, we are like children making mud pies in the gutter of the street because we cannot understand what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. He said, we are far too easily pleased. Man, I think that's true about me. We are far too easily pleased. Instead of these things, Jesus came to invite us into life in the presence of God. Jesus came to invite us into life in the power of God, into life knowing who we are in the grace of God. He came to empower us to bend the moments and the energy of our lives to seek after the justice of God on this earth. To, to, to commit ourselves to the practice of faithfulness and forgiveness in our relationships, to live with overflowing generosity and sacrificial love for others to be fully alive, to seek after the restoration of all that sin has broken in cooperation with God. And we settle for less than that, right? And we do it individually in our lives. We do it corporately in our communities. We're so lonely. We're so cut off. Sometimes it's just individually. We won't take the risk of deep and authentic Community with other human beings is too scary for us. But sometimes we do it actually, we group ourselves into lonely little groups of people who are just like us, who don't like other people who are not like us, right? And human community is so divided, it's not supposed to be this way. 
is so fractured. On a local and a global scale, we're divided by politics, we're divided by race, we're divided by nationality, we're divided by generation, we're divided by gender, and this is not the way that Jesus came to make it. The Bible says Jesus came to tear down the dividing walls of hostility among us, to create the beautiful and beloved human community for which God created human life in the first place. But we're settling for a smaller vision than that. We're settling. We're living for less than that. Our vision is so much smaller and so much blurrier than that that I'd hardly call it living in relationship to the living that God came to make us for. Just within the last couple of weeks, in the midst of all this wondering, a friend of mine shared with me about someone close to him in his life, someone who recently received a, a terminal diagnosis. Is they're dying, and they know that their days are numbered, and that number actually is short. And this friend of mine said it this way. He said, he's waking up, this friend of his, he's waking up every day realizing that he has fewer and fewer opportunities to do that. It's a sobering way to put it. It's true for all of us. It's just that this guy realizes it. And this might sound weird at first, but this took me back. It took me back to an experience that I had my freshman year in college. My freshman year in college, I had this math class. And in my math class, we were talking about infinity all the time. Everyone's always talking about infinity. The limit of this is X goes to infinity. And it's so often that eventually I had to ask myself, do I know what that is? Like, can I understand infinity? Like, when you're a little kid, you think you do, right? You don't. But you're like, at the Easter egg hunt, I got infinity candy bars. Well, and your friend's like, I got infinity, infinity candy bars, right? It doesn't work that way, really, right? But so one evening, I'm together with a group of other Christians on campus in this Christian fellowship group, and we were in a time of worship, and we were singing. And we were singing the classic Christian song, Amazing Grace. And the arrangement of that song that we knew, the last verse, the words of the last verse were these. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. And it hit me in that moment as we were loving God with all of our hearts and with all of our minds that that's what infinity is. It's when you can take 10,000 away from something and it doesn't get any smaller because it's infinite. It goes on forever and ever. Amen. And I think that is what we are talking about here. The life into which Jesus was raised and the life into which he invites you and me is a life of infinite length and infinite depth. And the word that we Christians, the term that we usually use to describe this is eternal life, right? We use this word eternal life, and it is eternal life. Praise God, it is a life that triumphs over the grave, that is not subject to death in terms of eternity, that we will get to go on living in the presence of God forever and ever, amen. And for some of us who may be looking at a shorter number of days or have loved ones who are, this is a hope to which we can cling right now and fill us with faith and hope. It is eternal life. But you know what? I think even that term is still settling a little bit. I think that term may indicate that we almost still don't understand exactly what we're talking about on Easter because eternal life makes it sound like something you have to wait to start living until after you die. It sounds like it's life after death, which it is, praise God, it is. But when I read the Bible and learn about Jesus' life, I am convinced that it is also life before death, that it is also life in the presence and the power of God here and now. It is a living relationship with the living God. And so this life into which Jesus was raised, 
and this life into which he invites you and me today. It is an invitation into adventure. It is an invitation into impact and life transformation. It is an invitation into new hope. It is an invitation into security and knowing who you are in the love and power and people of God right now. It is an invitation into faith and hope and love and courage that does not come from you and community and purpose and power in the presence and the Spirit of God forever and for now. And so here on Easter Sunday of all days, I urge you and invite you, stop seeking the living among the dead. Don't don't settle for the temporary kind of life, but instead receive the invitation of Jesus and step forward in faith into the power of the eternal kind of life that is yours on offer from him and by his power and into which we can begin living now and forever. And I want to give you a tangible opportunity to respond to that, to say in your own heart to God among his people, I'm in on that. And if you're saying, follow me, I'm taking a step. If you, you, on your way in, I think the ushers gave everybody along with the worship program, along with the bulletin, a little leaf-shaped piece of paper that might have made you nervous or confused when you got it, right? On that piece of paper, you can use that. And hope, I think you got a pen, too. Hope you got a pen. You can write on that piece of paper on one side something that represents to you the temporary kind of life. The seeking of the living among the dead. Remember that video we saw at the beginning of the message? Maybe on that side, you can write something that represents the fear, the insecurity, the temptation, the powerlessness, whatever it is that God's going to leave behind in the grave when he raises up the new you, right? And on the other side of that paper, you can write what represents the eternal kind of life, the thing that God is raising up new in you. And maybe you've already got a story about that, and you can celebrate that by writing it right there. Maybe it's a hunger in your heart. You know that you were made to live the eternal kind of life, to have a living relationship with the living God. And you can write on there what you're hoping for, what you're praying for. Or if you even know what it is, but you're saying, Jesus, I'm in on that, you can just write the name of Jesus on that side of the card. And then after worship today, as you're exiting, you probably saw on your way in out there in our lobby out there, there's some trees that had some leaves on them that looked just like these. On Good Friday, two days ago, we remember the death of Jesus, and those branches were all bare. And now throughout the morning on Easter morning, they've been bursting forth with new shoots of life, representing the life-giving power of the Spirit of God among us. And on your way out, you can join your leaf to the leaves that are already out there, and you don't have to put your name on that or anything if you don't want to. You can if you want, but you sure don't have to. And you can clip that on there, and it's a sign and a testimony. And next week, when you come back, and in the following weeks as this community regathers for worship, You can look for your leaf on the tree, or you can just look at the whole collection of leaves on that tree and be encouraged by the sign of joy and the sign of life of what God is creating new here and among us. And as we gather for worship, that's exactly what we're going to be doing together for the next few weeks. Pastor Angie and I have been working together on topics and themes for the next few weeks of worship services where we talk about what does that mean? How do we have a living relationship with the living God? How do we talk to God? How do we listen to God and live under the power of God a Godward life? Because while it doesn't make any sense for us to see the living among the dead, thank God that he did, right? Thank God that he went and found us right where we are in the midst of our temporary lifeness, in the midst of our seeking the living among the dead, and he made us alive. Praise God. Let's pray together. Good and gracious God, we thank you for your mercy. Thank you for finding us. And we confess that we need you. We confess that we are too enamored of the temporary kind of life, 
that we are all too prone to seek life where it can't be found and to settle for the temporary kind of life. But I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would teach our hearts what it means to know that you are alive, that you have been raised from the dead and are ready to raise us up to the newness of life. And as you invite us into your life, Lord Jesus, we commit our lives to you today. And we leave these other things behind and we're taking a step of faith in you into the life that begins now and goes on forever and ever, amen. And God, I pray that you would encourage our hearts and encourage our spirits and these leaves and these branches and these trees in this community that you would help us grow in a living relationship with you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.